Welcome into the Otzen Audibles podcast post-game edition. Uh, I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel with me on the show as always. And typically Eric and I are recording this from the press box inside Otzen Stadium immediately after the Oregon Ducks wrap up their football game, whether it's a win, whether it's a loss. Uh, this year, a little different. COVID has made things a little more difficult, Eric, for us to uh, be able to record these at Autzen. We have to kind of get out of there in a time frame, and uh, they do not allow us to be in the same room together real close to be able to record these like we normally would. So a little bit of a delay, so we apologize if you're if you're wondering where the podcast is and the time of when it gets released Apologize for that. It's going to be kind of like that for the whole entire year, really. Um, a little bit later, but nonetheless, Eric, we have a post-game edition to record. Uh, the number 12-ranked Oregon Ducks hosted Stanford Saturday night at Austin Stadium, a crowd of zero, um, and they walk away with a 35-14 to 14 victory, um, one in which, Eric, that they led for – pretty much most of the game, you know, from, from about the second quarter on, or I shouldn't say most of the game for, for most of the, they led for the entire second half and they, they took the lead with a minute to go in the second quarter, but nonetheless, a, a pretty overwhelming dominating performance from an Oregon football team that had to replace a, a ton of guys with no spring football and an off season from hell, essentially. I should have stuck with my gut, Matt. I uh, the, on Monday I predict Oregon would win thirty-four to thirteen, or yeah, thirty-four to thirteen, and the final score was thirty-five to fourteen. I was very, very close. Uh, midweek, I sort of changed routes after talking with RJ Abadia from the Bootleg, talking to players, and, and predicted the game would be a little bit closer. Um, I think it was a really impressive first game, all the things considered. Obviously, some sloppy play. I think Tyler Shuck got better as the game went on. I think the offense as a whole really got better as the game went on. The run game was, wasn't very good for the, in the first half. I think that was something you know, that I acknowledged at halftime was maybe that was the biggest surprise for me was they just didn't run the ball very effectively in the first half. But boy, second half, they end up you know, to, to finish the game with 270 yards rushing. Um, and I think defensively, there was some time where, where Stanford really moved the ball pretty effectively. And yet... As the game went on, Oregon started to figure them things out. We should note this game might be a little bit different if Jet Toner, Stanford's kicker, yeah. doesn't miss four field goals. I mean, like, boy, they think about the complexion of this game if he hits all of those. And, and, and 35 26. Exactly. And, and, that, and that last touchdown actually means a lot more than it ended up meaning. So um, I think all in all, a lot of things to be impressed with. I think a lot of things that still need to be sorted out. And um, I think for me, probably the most important thing is, is just you know, getting healthy at tight end. And we'll talk about that throughout the show here, but uh, only one healthy tight end in this game. Maybe that's not the most important thing, but that was one of the things that stood out was, you know, for a position group that we thought had a lot of depth, it was DJ Johnson and DJ Johnson only from a scholarship perspective at that position group. And I know we'll talk about him throughout the show because he was pretty impressive, but um, some, certainly some concerns at that spot. And I think other than that, kind of things that seem very fixable and correctable. Real quick, before we dive into analysis of the game, we need to discuss the atmosphere. Ooh. It was different. It was immensely different compared yeah. to any other home game you and I have been at. I mean, I go back and think 
2016 Washington. Think of that second half when they're putting up 70 points on the Ducks. That atmosphere was 10 times better than what it was Saturday night in Austin Stadium against Stanford. There, there, was, there was no juice. There was no crowd. It was weird. Uh, there was no buzz around the stadium. Uh, the press box, we were all spread out. Um, it was a, a smaller contingent of media members there. It just felt different. And I think for the first quarter, almost, I think for an away team, this environment is probably the best environment possible. But for a home team, this is a weird deal. And it took Oregon about a, about a quarter to kind of get through the sluggish feeling of there being no game day atmosphere at all around Austin Stadium. What was the weirdest part of that for you? And I'll start just by saying, I think the weirdest part was that we could, and we're pretty far away in the press box and we have the windows open. We could hear the players yelling on the field. Um, we could hear the sideline yelling in calls and we couldn't decipher exactly what they were saying, but it was really weird being able to, you know, it almost felt like a, like a high school game. Exactly. What I was going to say a high school game where there's like a couple hundred fans there and you can start actually hearing all of that stuff. And I found that to be weird. I know they did. We should know they piped in fan noise. I'd be curious for those listening um, that watched the telecast, if they even heard the fans, because from up from where we, we were sitting, I, I barely heard anything. It was kind of a loud murmur, um, or not even a loud murmur. It was basically a murmur, and, and you could really make out on some of the big collisions. You could hear it, and certainly um, as the plays were developing, I, I know from Oregon's perspective, you could hear the coaches and the, the players on the sideline almost yelling out like, "This is what the play is." As the play was enveloped, you know, and I, I we should have probably asked after the game, but is that an advantage in terms of you can maybe even get some in-play coaching where you can actually, you know, kind of send in some, Hey, this is what I'm saying. Hey, Hey, this is what the play is. And then maybe get some players turned around. I don't know. What was the weirdest part for you? I mean, it was just really strange. I think just the overall, just lack of buzz. I mean, Odson stadium is a game in an atmosphere on game day in which it's really second to none. You know, it, it's truly viewed as uh out West as an SEC school type atmosphere. You know, there's thousands of fans in the parking lot tailgating rain or shine, whether it's 90 degrees outside or if it's 20 degrees outside, uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. The opponent doesn't matter. Oregon's record people show up and it's a big deal. Um, and there's a, there's a sense of excitement when you walk into the, into the stadium itself, you get onto the football field and it's different. And you see a buzz and, and you feel it. And I, I made a couple times during the games in which I, I was so used to um, like CJ Verdell's, I think it was like a 25 yard reception in the first quarter up the sideline. And he kind of pulled away from um, the, the, the defense. And in that typical year, that play, there's a big roar when he catches the ball and there's an even bigger roar when he turns the corner and starts pulling away from the defense and is getting close to, uh, to the end zone. And that was not there at all. And you know, like you could, like you could have your head down writing or looking at something or doing something and yeah. know based off the crowd's reaction, something huge is happening. Like you, you could just get a feel for the game without actually even having to watch it because of the crowd. And that wasn't there. And I thought it was interesting. The players afterwards talked about how Cristobal said that the team, it was up to the team and themselves to kind of create that atmosphere, to create that juice, to create that excitement 
so that the team's fired up to play. I mean, yeah, and, and it makes a lot of sense too because you're talking about just about the strangest environment. I mean, and that's probably almost as quiet as practices for them, honestly. And maybe it's more quiet, or, or just I mean, it's that was it was weird. And I think you bring up a good point there, Matt. Where there's a couple times during the game where I was kind of looking at notes or or, or or keeping an update on on the game story I write, which I kind of am writing simultaneously so I can get it done pretty quickly. And, you know, typically I would rely on, like Matt says, the crowd noise to kind of oh, re-engage me in the game if I'm kind of lose track for a second. And there are like entire plays, not more than one, but like entire plays where I just like didn't watch it. And fortunately, the TV telecast we had right in front of us, and they're, they're at a delay. So I was able to watch the play afterwards. But it was hard. It made even my job a little bit more difficult, too, because usually, like Matt says, there are those cues of like, oh, the crowd's really excited or the crowd really doesn't like a play or they're booing the officials, all these sort of things. And that kind of that that lacking those things really does impact generally kind of the way we even do our jobs. So, you know, I mean, I should note, I think we both feel really blessed that we were able to be there tonight yep. um, and be, you know, one of, I don't know, maybe 30, 25 to 30 media members. I don't have an exact tally. Um, really cool that we got to be there and, and really be some of the only people in attendance watching. But uh, weird deal for everybody, you know, even from a media perspective, uh, Matt and I got there. I think we're the first two non-Oregon media people there. Um, we got there and we, rather than have the normal meals, we have to take our box lunches and walk down the concourse and, socially distance and sit at different tables. I mean, the whole thing is so different. Um, but again, I think pretty cool that we got to be there. And, and I think ultimately, and we'll talk about this now, I think a lot of things to be excited about from this game and, and certainly a lot of things to, to kind of maybe dig deeper into to kind of what needs to be improved over the next couple of weeks here. Let's dive into the scoring plays. Stanford got on the board first, 7 nothing. 325 in the first quarter when Austin Jones ran off to the left side of the of the offensive line uh, towards their bench for a, a four-yard touchdown run. Capped off nine-play, 80-yard drive that went five minutes and 30 seconds for the Cardinal. And then, if I'm not mistaken, Oregon almost immediately responds uh, with a seven-play, 87-yard drive C.J. Verdell, 10-yard touchdown run. Camden Lewis gets the PAT with 54 seconds left in the first quarter to tie the game at 7-7. And then nothing really happens for the next quarter until Oregon gets a touchdown pass from Tyler Shuck to D.J. Johnson from five yards out, caps off a 10-play, 96-yard drive that started at Oregon's four-yard line on a great punt by Stanford. Three-minute, 59-second drive. Puts the Ducks up 14-7, and that was a pivotal moment in this game because Oregon scores with a minute and five left before the half. Stanford had won the toss at the beginning of the game and elected to have the ball first in the first half, meaning Oregon scored with 105 left in the first half, knowing they're going to get the ball right back again, and it's up to them uh, to – you know, really get an opportunity to pull away from, from Stanford. And that's what exactly what they did. They came out, they were committed to the run. I think it was six. They ran nine plays, 75 yards, but six of those plays were designed run plays that went for 41 yards. They, they were very aggressive. It's capped off uh, with a Travis die 14 yard touchdown run. And all of a sudden now the ducks are up 21 to seven and this, you know, they get a stop. And the next drive is becomes their third straight scoring drive of the game. 
Uh, Tyler Shuck, a nine-yard run, which capped off another long drive for the Ducks. Ten plays, 80 yards, three minutes and 57 seconds. Puts Oregon up with 50, you know, 28 to seven with 53 seconds to play in the third quarter. And it felt like early on in the fourth, the Ducks got another drive. They were marching down the football field. They were in the red zone. I think they were even inside the 10 or, or 15 or so. Uh, and it looked as if Oregon was going to punch in a touchdown and, and go up 35 to seven and the blowout was on. They didn't score a touchdown. They then missed a, a, a short field goal by Camden Lewis. We'll discuss that later. Yeah. That opened up the door for Austin Jones uh, to score another touchdown, three plays, 80 yards, a minute 32. Put the game at 28-14 Oregon. Stanford's down 14 points with about eight minutes to go in this game. And I tweeted out that that score, the, the failed scoring attempt by Oregon and the quick strike touchdown by the Cardinal opened the door a little bit for them to still be in this game. And then we had the knockout blow. And I think I was, I thought it was a very impressive answer by the ducks, nine plays, 73 yards, four minutes off the clock after, after Oregon saw their 21 point lead go to 14 ends with a Cyrus Abila four yard touchdown run with three minutes and 37 seconds to seal the victory giving us our final 35-14 score. And I think we learned a lot about this game, Eric. And, and, and for me, some stats that stand out, and we'll, we'll talk necessarily players or developments or you know scheme or what have you here in a second, but just some stats to me that really stood out in this game. Oregon had 29 first downs. They were balanced. 15 came on the ground. 10 came on the, uh, through the air. They ran for 269 yards against Stanford. That's the most in almost two years. 2018, late September, uh, they allowed 271 against the top five Notre Dame team. Ducks averaged 6.7 yards per rush, four rushing touchdowns. They threw for 227 yards. Tyler Shuck, 17 of 26 and an interception, also threw a touchdown pass. Almost 500 yards total offense, 496 Average 7.5 yards per play. Um, Stanford committed 10 penalties for 100 yards. And the big one for me, Eric, I said that that Oregon, they needed to be elite. They needed to be good on third down to win this game. I said that earlier in the week, they were 9 of 11 on third down conversions, and they held Stanford to 4 of 13 on third down conversions. I, I walk away from this game. Statistically, you look at this, and it's, it's boy, Oregon really dominated this football game. And you kind of wonder what this game feels like if it's not for those two turnovers too, right? Um, the first, I mean, Tyler Shuck, I thought, and what, I know we'll talk about him more in a second. I thought as a passer, had some really nice moments. I think he also had some moments that were, he would admit were regrettable. His first half interception was a really bad read. Uh, I don't think he saw the defender and just put the ball in a bad spot. And it was intercepted by Stanford. Ultimately, it didn't change the scoreboard because you know the score because Jet Toner missed one of his four field goals, which will I mean, that was significant. Um, you know, and then we had the weird Cyrus Abibi Likio fumble where it looks like they're going in to probably score again. I think they were just outside the twenty yard line. He's he you know kind of slips on the turf. It looks like we saw that a couple times. By the way, we also saw Mikhail Wright on a kickoff return seemingly lose his footing, but Cyrus loses his footing. The ball comes flying in the air, and for a second, it looks like, boy, is Stanford going to like run this for a touchdown because they had a head of steam. 
Um, again, I don't think that ended up any po- in any points for Stanford, but those were two opportunities right there where you kind of wonder if, if the complexion changes, if not for a couple of sloppy plays. But like we said earlier in the week, like you can't expect them to play mistake-free football in the first game of the season, given all the weird things. I mean, I think the lack of the crowd environment is significant. Um, clearly, you know, breaking in all these new starters, and we should note, Tyler Shuck was the starting quarterback as we expected all along. They rotated through a variety of different offensive line rotations. Steven Jones didn't even start and kind of kicking myself because we didn't ask for any clarity from Mario Cristobal on that because it seemed like he played basically the entire game after the first quarter. I wonder if there was some sort of disciplinary um, issue there. But there was just a lot of factors at play for, for kind of why there would be some issues here. But I think once the momentum started rolling here, and you, you got to see why everyone has been so excited about this team. And um, I, I think I was really impressed with the way the whole thing kind of came together, both offensively and defensively. After that first quarter, they go on a 21 nothing run. Stanford fires back with that touchdown, like you mentioned. It, was, it came on the heels of a 74-yard rush from Nathaniel Pete, where um, – you know, really just another – and issues throughout the game, it seemed like with the run fits where they would kind of make mistakes there. But I thought the response right after that, and you talked about it, where they come down and it's a Cyrus CVV Leakio touchdown to put it away was was really impressive. And I think overall, of course, there are things you, you kind of may be disappointed in or things you don't like. But I think you have to be really pleased just with the overall performance, especially with everything Oregon's breaking in and, and given the kind of the adversity of, of what this offseason was. Some individual statistics from this football game. And uh, like Eric said, I think there were some some unique things that stood out individually because of guys playing more or less than expected. Um, one thing that was pretty pretty expected, uh, it doesn't, doesn't surprise me one bit, uh, C.J. Verdell led the game in rushing yards, 29, 20 carries for 105 yards, lost just four yards of total, of total yardage, on 20 carries, pretty impressive against that front seven against Stanford. He has a touchdown, averaged 5.2 yards, long of 19 in the game. One that did shock both you and I, Tyler Shuck, 11 carries. That is a big, pretty big surprise. <laughs> yeah. We're not used to seeing that uh, the last four years with Justin Herbert at quarterback. And if they did give Herbert 11 carries, some of it's sacks, some of it's you know maybe two or three yard dives, what have you, for first downs or whatnot, but – Shuck was a primary ball carrier for the Ducks at the quarterback spot this year in this one in this season opener. 11 carries, 85 yards. He had a touchdown run that was a hell of an impressive run where he put the entire Stanford defense on skates. Uh, did not expect that kind of uh, agility out of Oregon's quarterback. Um, Travis Dye, very, very, very efficient. 78 yards on just six carries. He had an impressive 40-yard run, which included a mean spin move. Uh, Cyrus Abilakio, two carries, six yards, one touchdown. Uh, he did have a fumble. It was very uncharacteristic of him. Uh, mentioned Shuck's passing yardage, but 227, one touchdown, was not sacked in the game. Receiving, uh, this is one in which we'll, we'll spend some time discussing here, here in a second. DJ Johnson led the Ducks in receptions with five, the junior tight end. Uh, 55 yards receiving was second on the team. He had the lone touchdown catch long of 26 yards. Johnny Johnson, four catches, 60 yards, team high there. He had some pretty remarkable acrobatic catches, most of them one-handed. Jalen Red, four catches, 29 yards. He had another impressive catch. 
Verdell was two for 30. And Micah Pittman had one catch, but it was for 44 yards. And boy, was it a doozy. Maybe the catch of, of the game, uh, seeing how he caught that. And then Devin Williams, one catch for nine yards. Um, Tom Snee, one punt, 51 yards. Uh, Camden Lewis was 0 for 1 on his uh, field goal attempts. All-purpose yardage, Verdell led, led the Ducks with 135. And um, tackling, very balanced attack for the Ducks. Michael Wright and Isaac Slade, Matuatia led the Ducks each with five tackles. Uh, Noah Sewell, Verone McKinley, Nick Pickett, and Kayvon Thibodeau all had four Three, just three tackles for loss for the Ducks. Isaac Slade got one. Noah Sewell got another one. And Bennett Williams got one kind of in crunch time for the Ducks. Um, let's go back to the receiving group here for a second. Um, I want to talk quarterbacks and, and, Taylor, and Taylor Shucks running later. But I think the story of the game, maybe, maybe, is DJ Johnson at tight end, a guy in which – he wasn't even running with the first team this week until a couple days ago. Yeah, I think that was one of the, the, the more surprising things. And we, we mentioned on the podcast throughout camp of like, this is the position group that is the biggest mystery. We never had any clarity of really what the hierarchy looked like. They listed three guys on the two deep. By the way, none of those three guys play. DJ Johnson, by yeah. the way, wasn't even on the two deep. Um, he wasn't even listed as one of the three guys there. He was the only, like I said at the beginning, the only scholarship tight end that even played in this game. I and mean, they were playing... Um, like Tyler Nanny and I'm, I'm blanking it. Dal- is it Dalton Schultz? Dalton think- Schultz, walk-on. Cooper Schultz. Cooper and I Schultz. usually know my walk-ons, but that tells you how far down the depth chart he was because I didn't even know his first name. Um, and Dalton Schultz. No Spencer I- Webb, no Patrick yeah. Herbert, no, no Cam McCormick, no Hunter, Hunter Camware. Yeah, it's like they didn't have any of their guys. And, and to DJ Johnson's credit, um, he stepped up and boy, was he just a stud. I mean, I, and I think – I tweeted it after the game, and I think even during the game. I mean, I think the biggest personnel surprise for the game for me was absolutely DJ Johnson. I, I, I didn't really think he'd be much of a contributor, frankly, at all after coming over from defensive end. I mean, I think we'd heard some positive things about him, but it was you didn't really get a sense that, that that really meant much because those are typically questions that were pointed at him, you know, like, how's DJ Johnson playing? And they'd say, oh, he's been a surprise. He's playing well. And you kind of take that for a grain of salt. But he came out and was just really impressive. And – um, I think the speed in the open field on um, that 26 yard catch was just like, holy cow. Um, not used to seeing players move like that. <laughs> this size move like that. Exactly. Like, boy. Um, and I know when everybody comes back and there is health. And again, we don't have a total clarity of what the future really looks like there. I think Kent Moyer and Spencer Webb were dressed. The others, uh, being McCormick and Herbert were not dressed. At least I didn't see them out there. That's, you know, they'll get some of these players back at some point, but they seem to have figured something out here with DJ Johnson. And I know people on, on social media, and I'm sure those listening were really excited just by what we got there from him, because there was a pretty big gap there and, uh, you know, at tight end and, and certainly a lack of clarity, basically since Jacob Breland went down last year of who was going to be the next guy up. And it sure looked like he was ready for the challenge. And I'm going to be very curious here in the coming weeks and throughout the rest of the season, if he's able to kind of hold this job down and, and be this kind of a contributor, uh, the first impressions from my perspective are he certainly has all the attributes to be a really good tight end for Oregon and, and a weapon at that size and with his athleticism. Yeah. I, I look at DJ Johnson and think this and see a guy that he's still learning to play the position. He's still figuring out the instincts that come with 
the position. And he has history of playing it in high school, but it's different at college. It's different when you haven't played tight end for a couple of years. Um, but boy, it, it was impressive to see him just the raw talent he has and the potential he oozes out. Um, he had that catch in the third or fourth quarter um, on a third down play, I think it was, and he, he turned it into a first down. And then he, he, he was able to get a couple strides and he's, he's a big guy. He's like 250 pounds. And, and so naturally, you know, those types of guys, they need a couple steps to really start hitting their top end speed. You know, they're not going to, they're not Tyreek Hills or DeAnthony Thomas is where, you know, they're right. in top end speed in one or two steps. Um, they need to get going. And, but when, once he got to his top end speed, you could see him start pulling away from everybody. And it was impressive to watch. And I look at that and think, you know, hey, look, th- this might be his opportunity to really c- cement himself as the go to guy at the position because everyone's hurt. And if he gets a lot of reps and can kind of extrapolate that into being uh, a, a more polished r- player, he might have the tools to kind of take over that position and be something that we haven't seen at Oregon in, in uh, you know, a couple, three or four years for the Ducks. Uh, really, really intrigued there. Um, the tight end position was one that really in, in, intrigued us at, at, on, off, on the offensive side of the ball. I think the other one for me is is Tyler Shuck. And not necessarily – we knew, right, that he was athletic, um, that, yeah. that he could make plays with his legs. But I don't – I wasn't expecting Oregon to dial up as many designed plays that they did for him. Um, some of them – some of his big games uh, on the ground came via scramble. There, it was an originally a, a pass call, and Cristobal noted that in the press conference, saying that you know they ran for like two sixty nine, you know, but, but some of it kind of came on some scramble yardage, and so it's more like two two twenty or two thirty from what they were really game planning to get out of that. But his scrambling ability was impressive. His decision making of when to hold it and and. And, and try and wait and see if someone would open up or tuck it and run was impressive, I thought. And more importantly, uh, there, there were more opportunities he could have had to carry the ball, but frankly, he just pitched it because they ran options. Um, I'm, I'm pretty intrigued at game one of the Joe Moorhead offense. Quarterback seems to be a position in which it's going to be a frequent carrier of the football. And we should note, like, he probably had at least two to four opportunities in the first half where he could have kept it and instead he gave it to Verdell or left it in Verdell's belly. I think there was one on there. I think the first drive, it looked like he probably could have had 10 to 15 yards of running room in front of him. Instead, he leaves it with Verdell and he gets stuffed and they have to punt. But I mean, yeah, I, I was super impressed. I mean, again, we don't get to watch practice. We didn't get to see a spring game and I'm sure Oregon took advantage of that fact um, against Stanford. There's not really a scouting report and I'm sure, you know, I haven't seen all the quotes from David Shaw and his perspective. I don't know if they even addressed Tyler Shuck as a runner, but I'm sure that took them by surprise a little bit too. His vision, I don't think he's a super fast guy. I, you know, I don't no. think he's like running 4-4 four, four or probably 4-5, maybe not even like 4-6, maybe like a four, mid 4-7, four, 4-8 four, guy. I mean, and that's just off the eyeball test. I don't know. But his ability to find the open space and his ability to kind of have the awareness of how to get there, um, find the angles, I found that to be really impressive. He showed a little – a little bit of that shimmy a couple of times in space. Um, Matt mentioned the touchdown run was super impressive. I mean, he, he basically juked three or four guys out of their shoes and found the end zone. And, the, and there's a touch, there's a run right before the touchdown. 
on that drive where it was a scramble where it looked like he was going to get, I don't know if he'd been sacked or, or tackled the round line of scrimmage or for a short yard yardage gain, but he found space and, and cut it up field and ran away from some people. So his ability to run the ball was, I agree, along with DJ Johnson offensively, I think those are the two biggest surprises. Uh, and and I, I'm again, going to be curious to see, was this something they saw with Stanford and, and this was kind of part of the game plan or is this going to be a thing from week to week where he's going to carry the ball 10, 15 times a game and maybe he's going to be a quarterback that gets to 100 yards rushing a time or so this season or, or in the future at least. I don't know. I, I was super impressed with how dynamic he was in that regard. And even on a day, like I said, where he had a couple of passes I know he'd like back, I, I think Oregon fans had to be really, really pleased with the quarterback they saw there. Again, first career start goes out, leads the offense to, to five scoring drives and, and picks up a win against the Stanford defense, which was down a couple of starters, but still always battles and, and finds a way to make it competitive. And I think one thing we should note really quick here is Stanford was out without their starting quarterback. Yeah. I, wonder, I wonder, Matt, if you look at this and think, would that have changed the complexion a little bit if Davis Mills was out there? Because like we said, Stanford drove the ball and had some success with those drives. They just resulted in four field goal attempts and all four of them were missed. Part of me wonders if they have a different quarterback out there, um, if this game feels a little different. And, and I think certainly it's not a three-score win. I I think it certainly does, um, simply because they had they used two quarterbacks in this game. Jack West was the primary quarterback, 150 yards, 154 yards passing, no touchdowns. Um, Tanner McKee also came in for a couple snaps and attempted seven, completed three for 62. And we had RJ on Abadia from the bootleg, our, our Stanford affiliate. And, you know, he really hammered home that and echoed what Cristobal and Andy Avalos, Oregon's defense coordinator, had said going into the week that this receiving core that Stanford had was potentially going to be the best one that they faced all year. And that it was, you know, I think RJ said potentially the best in, in program history. And yep. it just felt like, Stanford didn't have a ton of confidence in West or McKee. They didn't really run a ton of long developing passing routes. You know, they, they took a couple of shots and they completed them when they did, mm -hmm. but, but they didn't take a ton. And it was a lot of very simple, quick stuff, intermediate at best from a distance perspective. And Isaac Slade, Matuatia, Oregon starting uh, Will Linebacker, uh, he said that they, they didn't find out about the change until a couple minutes before game time or a little bit before, a little bit more than that, but nonetheless, very, very close to kickoff. And he said, and this is what really caught my eye was he said that the coaching staff at Oregon said, Hey, look, new quarterback is in uh, Davis mills is out that one of their other receivers is out. We expect Stanford to run the football now and be very conservative with their play, their play calling and kind of shrink the game. And that's exactly what happened. Austin Jones got 20 carries. They, they finished the game with 31. They only attempted 26 passes and they threw for 216 yards. I, I agree with you. I, I think if Davis Mills is out there at quarterback, Stanford's probably a little bit more aggressive and they had some success going over the top. And maybe that's, you know, I don't know if it's cause for concern, but I, we did see, especially when Oregon started rotating their other DBs in to get guys experience mm -hmm. in the third and fourth quarters, we did see the second team kind of get beat deep a couple times. 
We did. And, and even Mikhail Wright, I think, got beat over the top at least once by um, Simi Fahoko, who we should note three catches for 88 yards. I think all three of them were, were kind of of the longer variety down the field. Um, I think there is some cause for concern there. I, I was, and, uh, and maybe I shouldn't jump too far ahead here because, as RJ said earlier in the week, this Stanford receiving group is supposed to be for real. They certainly were able to challenge that Oregon secondary down the field a little bit more than I'd expected. Um, you know, at the same time, I think that the secondary performed pretty admirably overall, but I'm with you in terms of, of that. And I think the other thing defensively that, you know, if we're talking about just things that kind of surprised us, how about the lack of pass rush? And I know Stanford, like you said, only 26 pass attempts, no sacks, one quarterback hit the entire game. Um, this is a front seven that we were predicting going into the game might get, I think you said four sacks. I predicted Kayvon yeah. Thibodeau would get two of those myself um the only quarterback hit of the game was from Slade Matuatia um and I don't want to diminish Kayvon Thibodeau's game at four tackles he also had a pass breakup he was it was a pretty quiet afternoon from him and, and really from the pass rush in general this game and you know I know I know the way Stanford plays you probably don't feel comfortable just bringing the house every time but at the same time I, I think that was something that really kind of stood out to me just looking through the numbers but also just watching the game of how infrequently it felt like the quarterback really had to move around the pocket and evade pressure. Um, I mean, for the most part, those 26 pass attempts, I think we're all with pretty clean pockets. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say I hold judgment after I watch the game again, yeah. but first glance, first impression, I'm not too concerned about that. I, I really think just based off of, my overall impressions of the of one watch of the game, and again, I'll have to go back and watch it a second time. And I'm going to ask Cristobal and Avalos this later this week. Um, I really feel like Stanford did a lot to protect the quarterbacks in terms of play calling. They didn't do a lot of deep dropbacks. They didn't ask the quarterback to hold the ball for for more than a couple of seconds. Uh, you know, whereas Oregon did. They asked Chuck to hold the ball for three or four seconds and let long plays develop to take shots downfield more often. And that often led to some pressures that the Duck offense had to face, you know, from a quarterback perspective. So I, I'm, yes, I will admit, Kayvon Thibodeau did not get to the quarterback as, excuse me, as often as I thought. Yes, they didn't hit, they didn't get as many QB hurries as I thought they would. But I think the Davis Mills thing goes into that. And I don't think, it's not the air raid like Washington State, but I think I think the, I think Stanford deployed a, a strategy in which hey, simple pass plays, get the ball out of the out of the quarterback's hands quickly because we got a new quarterback, very limited snaps, very little preparation. Lean on what we're traditionally good at, and that's you know running the football. And I also think Eric, like, is Oregon going to play an offensive line as as good as Stanford's the rest of the year? I don't think so. Might not. I think that's yeah, also taken into account. Are you, are you concerned now? I know it was a really small sample size, but Camden Lewis missing that 37-yard field goal. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. All, yeah. all offseason, the talk was he was improving. And I, I should note, I watched him in pregames. He had a couple 45-yarders, and, and I was kind of like, okay, he's got it going. Um, but he missed that pretty bad. And I, I kind of wonder mentally where he's at. I know he in the past has talked about how, you know, has had the perfect attitude in terms of handling this. But I, I don't feel like I've got – 
much confidence at all. It's certainly not a lot more improved confidence in his ability to split the uprights out there from a field goal perspective. He did hit all four extra points, and I think those are all pretty clearly down the upright. But that's an issue for me. I, I'm I think, still a little weary. I think last year it was it was one in which it was, oh, boy, if Oregon has to get into a situation, and they did, and it worked out for them. Um, but it also worked out for them because they were kicking a game-winning field goal against Washington State with no time left on the clock from, like, the five-yard line. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it's basically a PAT. Uh, but we even saw Camden Lewis miss PATs last year. Um, I, I think last year it was kind of a, oh, boy, every kick you you hold your breath to see if he's going to make it or not. And to be honest, and unfortunately, I think that's a similar case this year. Like, I, 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 didn't, I didn't go into this year thinking all of a sudden Oregon was going to have an All-American kicker back there. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I think Camden Lewis could turn into a reliable kicker, but unfortunately, you know, you got to do it before you, you expect it. And right now, you know, I, I think the history is shown in his first year and the history is shown in Oregon special teams now in, in 2020 that, you know, there's some shots that they should make and they've missed. Yeah. And it costs points. And it felt like at the moment, it felt like it could be the game shifter, especially with Stanford coming right down and scoring again, I think, Big response there from Tyler Shuck on the offense yeah. to come down and, and score and, and kind of put it away. But I, I did come away, and, and we should note Thompson he had one punt. It was 51 yards, but he also just basically booted it straight to the end zone. Would have liked to see him directionally there and a small sample size. Certainly feel a little bit better about what he did than Lewis. But Sturt, you know, I thought I just thought we'd bring it up because special teams was a point of concern coming in, and I don't feel a whole lot better. Um, they only had what. Travis Dye was back there as the punt returner. He actually never made a return. Um, Mikhail Wright had two returns for 35 yards. Wasn't, you know, I think he's, like I said, he slipped on one of them, but I didn't think special teams as a whole. Well, they weren't very, very good. Wasn't very good. I mean, just no. point blank. Yeah. And that, that's probably one of the areas that Chris Ball is, is really going to probably hammer home. And then these next couple of weeks, days that they need to, they need to shore up. They need to fix um, real quick we got a couple more things we need to dive into and discuss. Yeah. Um, stood out. What stood out to you from a player perspective? Um, who stood out to you the most? I'll take, I'll take a guy on offense and a guy on defense. We've already talked about him a little bit, so I'll keep this short here. But DJ Johnson, really, I had no clue or expectation what we were getting out of tight end. And I asked point blank on Wednesday last time we talked to Mario Cristobal how – Cam McCormick and Spencer Webb were looking and he seemed to indicate they were looking good and they'd be making contributions. And of course you got to consider the gamesmanship. Yeah. They didn't even play. Uh, And then, uh, so he, I was really impressed with what DJ Johnson brought. And then defensively, like how about Noah Sewell? You know, I don't think we knew exactly what his role was going to be, but when he was on the field and, and I think almost exclusively in the first half, I don't think he played a lot in the second half. I don't know if he got injured or if that was just a, a decision from the staff, but some of the plays he made were just like, oh, my gosh. He was running through offensive linemen. He suplexed a guy. Uh, his first tackle, I think, was a tackle for loss that he just flew through there and, and ripped the ball carrier down. I mean, he's, he's going to be a dude. There's no doubt about it. And physically, he checks all the boxes. And, and I'm, I'm really excited to see him develop. Um, we should note Drew Mathis got the start at the Will linebacker spot. I'm not going to be surprised at all if even game two against Washington State assuming Noah Sewell is fully healthy. Yeah. That Sewell is going to be starting. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. I think, I think the difference was, was pretty jarring to me. Um, 
first glance. Now, we we aren't in those rooms and we don't know the, the exact scheme of what they were calling up and the yeah. roles of, of those guys, but it, it felt like Sewell was the linebacker that wasn't missing the holes as many times or the gaps to fill or to make the play as, as others were that were in the mix at that position. Offensively for me, um, I, I think DJ Johnson is, is the, is one of the obvious ones. I think the quarterback is another obvious one just because first start for Tyler Shuck, we weren't expecting how much he ran, but I'm not going to pick either of those guys. Um, I'm going to go with the, a unit and that's the offensive line just because a, and we saw a ton of guys play here. B, we saw a ton of rotations, which it, 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 I, I don't know how often people watch the offensive line um, at Oregon under Cristobal um, in his first three years at Oregon, one as an offensive coordinator, two as head coaches. Um, he didn't really rotate much. And granted, it's why, why would you when you have, you know, the, the, the group that you had with the program the last two, three years, you know, you, why would you rotate a ton? But nonetheless, we didn't see a lot of fresh bodies in there. We didn't see guys, you know, even in blowout situations, it, it wouldn't be until one or two minutes left in the game would they would they pull the starters. Um, in this game, it was all over the place. I mean, we saw Stephen Jones at not even start when we thought he was going to be the best lineman of the group. Um, and he didn't come into the game until the second quarter and, 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 and shoot our fault. We should have asked, was that, uh, was that by design or, or what yeah. happened? Um, but Agreed. we saw, I think really Eric, the only common position that we saw was Alex Forsyth at center where everybody else bounced around. It felt like, and you know, we saw Malasala Amave play tackle and guard. Um, we saw TJ Bass, uh, move around. We saw George Moore move around. Stephen Jones move around. Uh, it was a, a combination of offensive linemen. And and part of me wonders, are they still trying to kind of really familiarize and finalize guys' positions? Don't forget Ryan Locke. Um, yes, that's a cool story too. I was just going to say, just because it's a really great story. He started the game at right guard, um, was in and out of the lineup, like you said. I think I kind of got the sense, and I might be reading into this too much, that they think Saul is the best right guard and you have Stephen Jones at right tackle, but they rotated a lot. And how cool is it that Ryan Walk, a kid who grew up in Sheldon, just a couple miles from Otson, gets to start there. And I'm I'm sure in a perfect world, you know, if it was a Hollywood story, he'd have his fans in the crowd and they'd get a – his parents, I should say, his family in the crowd, they'd get to watch it firsthand with him. Unfortunately, he doesn't get that. But just a really cool story. He got a scholarship earlier in camp and – as we've talked about him a little bit and certainly wrote, wrote a lot about him, um, a really cool story that he was out there. But I think you're right, and, and I think that's a follow-up question for Monday. And, again, we were pretty limited tonight in terms of the questions we got. You know, Timing was shorter than normal. Yeah, we probably only got about, you know, half. The, yeah, about half what we usually get. I think the radio guy, you know, Jerry Allen, got about five minutes. Um, shouldn't say radio guy. It's disrespectful. Everybody knows the voice of the Ducks, Jerry Allen. Um, but the rest of us got like a combined 10 minutes. So I think we each got, maybe I got one question, you got two questions in, usually we'd get a lot more. Um, but certainly something to look into. Cause I, I do think, are they, was there, what was going on with Steven Jones? And then secondly, are they really going to rotate this much throughout the season? And, and or, or was this just to trying to get, I mean, really like, was this just a, Hey, let's just 
move guys around because they haven't had live reps against real competition yet. And let's see what works. And I think whatever they fell into in the second half, and, and again, I would have to go back and watch a tape because um, I can't just tell you off the top of my head. I would do whatever that looked like, do more of that because I thought there was a stark contrast from, from the second half to the first half, especially running the football. Real quick, let's, let's wrap it up here. Um, Oregon's offense. I think you look at this game, and, and to, a, to a degree the defense as well, but primarily the offense, you, you watch this game, you don't watch the stats. And you think, boy, they they played some, at times, really poor football, um, really sloppy football, really inefficient football. But then you pop in the stats, and then you compare what they did tonight to what they did last season down on the farm, and it blows your mind. Um, Oregon's offense in 2019 had Justin Herbert, who we know is probably the favorite to win Rookie of the Year right now in the NFL. They had Penny Sewell. Um, they had four other offensive linemen that are on NFL rosters. Uh, there's a receiver on that team in 2019 that's played the last two weeks in the NFL. So they had NFL talent up and down that roster. And mm-hmm. in, in 2019, they had just 320 yards of total offense. They scored just 21 points. They were five of 12 on third downs. Um, they, they struggled to move the football consistently against Stanford last season. And yet you pop in the numbers for this game with a new quarterback, five new offensive linemen, your tight end depth has been decimated, your receiving core, you lost one of your top receivers. Um, you're, you're trying to figure things out there. And Oregon goes 496 yards of total offense, 269 yards rushing, the most that Stanford's allowed on the ground since late September 2018 against Notre Dame when they ran for 272. They had 29 first downs. They averaged 7.5 yards per play lap in this game, which would have been the third highest total in all of 2019 that the Cardinal defense allowed. And so you you look at the – you watch the game, you don't look at the stats, and and you you walk away and you think – Wow, they left a lot on the field. They left points on the off off on the on the football field. They should have had more points. They should have been more efficient. They should have had more explosion plays. They should have had this. They should have had that. And then you look at what they did, and it's holy crap. They they could be they could be really freaking good if they can get themselves dialed in and and on sync. I really liked what we saw from Joe Moorhead in this game. We haven't mentioned his name. I don't think this whole podcast. Um, some wrink- some wrinkles in that we haven't seen. I mean, they used the option, like just a straight-up option pitch that we haven't seen from Oregon offense in a couple of years, certainly. thought that was effective. That was the first touchdown run from C.J. Verdell, came on a pitch. Um, a couple of times we saw um, Tyler keep it. A couple of times we saw him pitch it. I think that's going to be effective, especially seeing what he's got uh, as a runner. Um, I-, I think the game plan overall was more varied than what we've seen in the past, and I don't want to make this a – Oregon's better off or Marcus Arroyos was a bad coordinator podcast, but I think Oregon has upgraded there. I think that was that's something I feel pretty comfortable saying after one game and certainly will have a better idea as the season goes on. But for a variety of reasons, I, I think this offense has a chance to produce at a higher level than it did last year. And you ran through the personnel differences that Oregon's going through this year as opposed to last year. 
and I don't want to be too hot takey. Maybe what we usually do end with a hot take. Um, I just kind of wonder if, if, let's say Joe Moorhead was at Oregon last year, if could this Oregon offense, this Oregon offense could have been something special with what they had at quarterback and that experience in the offensive line. And I, and I go, that's, I don't want to take shots at, at you know, that was a great season last year. Uh, they went and won the Rose Bowl. They won the Pac-12, a lot of accomplishments, but I think I couldn't help but thinking at times of like, boy, just imagine what this, this, this game plan and what this, what this team would look like just kind of under different leadership offensively. I, I think it's a very big positive. I walk away from this game thinking, boy, they, they, they had a lot to improve on. Crystal Ball said the same thing. Tyler Shuck said the same thing. This unit's got a ton to get better at. And yet, against a, a, a program and yes I'm, I'm going to acknowledge Stanford's defense is not what it was of three years ago but it's a program that's highly respected it's a program that that knows what elite defense is they have elite coaches on that on that side of the football and traditionally they always have at worst you know a, a, a very solid defense and oftentimes it's a special defense and Oregon put up some really impressive numbers coming off an off season. We've never seen before no spring football, essentially new offensive coordinator, five new starters, new quarterback. I mean, there's so many things that you could sit here and say, this offense is going to struggle. Or if they came out and they scored 21 points and they had 300 yards of total offense, the reasoning for that is so easy to explain and understand why it happened. And it's, and the excuse is, is completely viable and understandable. And yet they came out and they put up some really big numbers. And I think it's, it's really encouraging to see, you, you know, that this team's going to get better. You know, that they have to get better. And yet I, I think their floor is a lot higher now in my eyes than what it was going into the season. No doubt about it. I'm curious and excited to see more. I'll tell you what, and I know Matt's going to be in Pullman next week. Um, jealous that I, well, they only allowed one of us to go, but uh, he'll have a good time there. I'll be at a couple of the later road games. I think it's going to be really fun to watch this team develop. I think the upside, you feel really good about kind of the direction that they can go. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Like Eric mentioned, uh, I'll be going to Pullman, and then we'll have a home game the following week after that. Eric and I will both be there for the UCLA game, and then Cal pops up on the schedule or excuse me, Oregon state pops up on the schedule and then the ducks will play uh, Cal and then wrap up the home season with a game against the Washington Huskies. So make sure you follow along the entire season post game shows coming up after every game. Uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Talk to you later folks.